All right, so uh, I'm Ricky. If you're new here, thanks for being here. Thanks for being in the house of the Lord today. Turn to John chapter 13. We're going to close out our series on mission uh, this month, kind of a mini series on mission as we start the year. We're going to close it out with a, a, a little bit, something a little bit different. We're going to have a really honest conversation about where we're at as a church, uh, where we are facing challenges in the COVID era, and how to move forward together. Uh, I've been reading a book on Winston Churchill and his leadership of England during World War II uh, before America, dragging its feet, finally got into the war. And so for a period, it was just England facing all the sort of Nazi armadas and armies themselves. And he had a leadership quality that I want to try to emulate for our church this morning. He, He was always brutally honest with the British public about where they were. But he was also always relentlessly optimistic about their chances. He had the British public believing, even if America never got in the war, they would win single-handedly against all of Europe, which I think is pretty remarkable. And I think that's helpful. It's helpful to just be honest and straight, like, this is where we're at, and this is why I believe that, that, that we will not be defeated. And so I'm going to just be honest up front at the top of the message here with some of the challenges that we face as a church in the COVID era. So I'm going to just go through these. So f- the first one is that I think after a year of isolation, both physical and social and all, all kinds, uh, we are feeling relational distance from one another in the church. If you're feeling that, I'm feeling that. I think we're all feeling that. Many of us have come out of 2020 with, with you know, having endured some, some hits. We got tagged a little bit. Um, we, we may have taken financial hits or personal hits. We may have lost people. Um, I know many people in our city especially have lost a relative uh, in this last year. We face a situation where we cannot, as a church, design a perfect safety plan or set of safety restrictions for our church that everyone will agree with. It's just, it can't be done. We have tried, and it is not possible. In our community groups, um, we've, we've had some good times of fellowship, but we've also had a number of groups and a number of members struggling to get traction in their group, just saying it's not the same to try to connect with the screen or, you know, I can't go to somebody's backyard or this isn't working for me for one reason or another. On our Sunday teams front, uh, I think all Sunday teams over the last year have faced shortages because in terms of volunteer base, we used to have two things working for us as a church. One is we had a small, probably too small group of people that were super servants that would serve like every week, just crank it out. But many of those folks, uh, some of them have been benched because maybe they're caring for an aging relative and, and they can't take on additional risk, though hopefully that will improve in the near term. Or um, maybe we're, we've run into this thing a few times where you almost need more volunteers than normal because anytime somebody gets exposed, they may stay home from church. Anytime somebody's sneezing, we're like, don't come. Please don't come. No, 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 no. You know, you know? Um, I feel warm today. Okay, that's fine. You know, just... This is where we're at. And we also face an issue where about a quarter of our church is usually military or transient, people that that are um, here temporarily, federal workers, that kind of thing. But one of the things that's happened is, is those waves are normally kind of on top of each other, keeping a constant group. But as the group that was has been with us longest has, is kind of ebbing out, and I see some of you and I'm like, oh, no, we're going to lose them. As they're ebbing out, we have not, because of COVID, got another wave of folks of reinforcements, Right. Because frankly, most people are not out there just checking out churches during the pandemic as a hobby. Um, So if you're connected to a church, you're kind of plugged in. But if you're not, then you're waiting. 
And then our kids' ministry kind of exemplifies the catch-22 we're in with our volunteer base. Um, many of our folks at church, maybe you're here watching this at home, uh, many folks are not attending because we don't have kids' ministry, because maybe they've tried to bring their kids and it feels it's, it's been a distraction, or they've tried to work through it, or one reason or another, they're waiting for that. But uh, we can't open more kids' classes unless we have more people coming and more people volunteering. And so you end up in this sort of vicious cycle where, you know, folks aren't here and aren't involved, but then to get them back involved, we need people to bring them in, in the first place. And so you just end up like, ah, I don't know how to get out of this. And, and, I, and I'm worried a little as a pastor that, that we, on a spiritual level, we could get caught in kind of a cycle as a church that becomes normal, um, where people don't serve and don't participate in CG or don't participate in church because they feel disconnected. And so they back off, but because they back off, it furthers the problem of their disconnection. And I think that's what we're all going to face coming out of this. And I think spiritually, as we've walked through the last year, we all face a drift toward sort of looking at the church through a more consumer lens, right? We, 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 we can feel like, oh man, why isn't the library back up? Come on, library, you know, and we can kind of look at the services around and just be, ah, the church should be doing this. Why isn't this in place? And I'm just going to be super frank with you. We've had a few folks that have attended our church uh, tell us they're no longer attending because we don't have certain kids' ministry classes or because we don't have certain ministries running, and they're like, I'm going to go to a church that has that up and running. Um, and, and maybe that's one end of the spectrum. And then maybe on the other end of the spectrum, people are, are watching online and they're waiting to be able to re-enter, but they're waiting to re-enter church life until a certain point, until certain you know, women's Bible studies are back or something. But we can't get those things up and running until we have more people participating. So we end up in this cycle. And I think we're not the only church alone in this. I think many churches are facing the same thing. And just in the fall, as we felt like we're starting to get some momentum, we got hit with that COVID spike in October, November, um, and it kind of derailed a number of our plans. And so, listen, I, I get it. I get why people are not able to fully participate. I mean, we, my family, we have health, we have health risks. Well, some members of my family, um, this has been a hard year for us. Maybe it's just hard to get, get out and do something. Cause you just feel like, man, I'm discouraged. I don't feel super spiritually good. I don't feel like going to church. And we felt that as well. I've had physical challenges. I had relapse of my, uh, some concussion symptoms. One of my kids had a major, uh, kind of health issue. And, and serving at the church often because of COVID and because, you know, you don't have as many babysitters and stuff available, it just is more complicated. Um, I, I, you know, we normally, I was joking with, with the, the first service that normally, you know, before the first service, you know, I, as a pastor, you know, kinda, I, I used to have kind of time where I could just have the manuscript and have a coffee and just be kind of pondering things before the Lord. But in order for Jen to serve on the production team, it means I've got the kids in the morning, right? And so I'm trying to get everybody out of the house and I'm like, all right, guys, let's go, let's go. Everybody's like, and I'm asking them, are you ready? And they're like, we're ready. And I'm like, Cohen, where are your shoes? And he's like, I don't know. And I was like, who knows where your shoes are? Mom knows. Well, mom is at church. You gotta find your shoes. And so, and there's shoes all over the house. They're everywhere, but none of them, that we can't find two that match, and we can't find two that are his size, and he's like, I don't know, and I'm like, do you live here as well? Like, what is happening? And so I'm bringing the kids, and, and Jen and I are doing a complicated handoff, we're getting a, you know, one of my parents to watch the kids, and it's just, it's one of those things that's like, man, it feels so hard to just show up and serve where normally it wasn't like this. I think we're all feeling that. 
And it doesn't mean, I just want to hear this, it doesn't mean that everything is going badly at the church. Man, the Lord really has provided for us. I mean, I'm just so encouraged at some of the outreach stuff we did toward the close of the year. We're handing out meals at Thanksgiving. We did the, the, big East, uh, the biggest thing we did last year was the Christmas parking lot outreach. I saw, uh, you know, people posting about it on Facebook, some guy that I don't even know, uh, maybe he's watching today, which would be awesome, but he, he, he checked in that he was at the church for this thing, and his friends replied, you are at church? And he's like, yeah, 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 what, everybody will pass out, yeah, yeah, like, um, but, and I'm like, that's the guy we want in our church parking lot, the guy that never shows up to church, right? I mean, that's, that's encouraging, guys. Um, and, and we've seen our Sunday teams, the, ones, the, the folks that have been able to commit, man, they have served heroically yeah, week in and week out. We've even financially, we've seen the church hold steady in terms of our finances. I mean, I know some churches, frankly, guys, that through, like a good friend of mine, um, through the pandemic, his church folded. Um, they just stopped meeting. They dissolved as a church, sent their members somewhere else because of financial hits as a result of the pandemic. Um, not only that, but we've still been able to build the kids' ministry wing, and we're going to finish this because people have kept to their pledges. We're going to finish that building debt-free, which is insane, and it's going to be done in the middle of April now. So, like, that's huge. And even in the community group world, you know, we're struggling with disconnection and stuff. We're starting a new group. We just started a new group, and we're going to start one more uh, in a couple months, God willing. And so God is, God is at work. But, but here's what I want to lay before you. We're kind of in this moment where we have to push through this season as a church and get our relationships and our you know, teams and, and all of the church back online so that we can function to serve one another and serve the city around us. We, we don't want it to become normal that people live with only a marginal connection to the body of Christ or to a local church post-pandemic, which is a concern I have. So that's why we're going to look together at John 13, because before we, we make this sort of push as a church where we're going to have to, you know you know, really buckle up and serve some extra in some cases. We're going to have to press in with one another. I want to ask the question, why? Why is it worth it to do this? I'm going to look at just two verses, John 13, verses 34 and 35. This is God's word. And Jesus says to us, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is God's word. And I think this is just so clear because, because sometimes we can, we can just say, okay, what, why is the church worth it? Why is the church worth it? Jesus tells us why. Now, I'm going to give you three reasons why we are called to love the church, kind of stemming from that verse, but going out, expanding it to the whole Bible. First reason to love the church, because it is precious. Oh, man, in this verse, Jesus says that he loves us. He loves the church. He loves you, Christian. If you're sitting in this room or watching online, Jesus loves you. 
And, and notice that, that in, in Matthew 16, 18, that, that famous passage where Jesus says, on this rock I will build my church and the gates of hell won't prevail against it. We often think about the gates of hell. And, you know, but the most important part of that verse is, is what he says about the church. It's, he says that it is his church. On this rock I will build my church. He doesn't just say the church. I'm gonna build a church. No, he says my church. It's possessive, right? And this this possession of, the, of Jesus of the church, of God of the church, is not a distant ownership. It's not like, yeah, I have a vacuum. That's how I, yeah, it's my vacuum. No, it's, it, he, Jesus is tapping in later on into this, this thread in scripture of, of God speaking to his people as his bride. You see this in places like Isaiah 54. You, you see it in, in places like Ephesians 5 and Revelation 21. God calls the church his bride, right? The closest human relationship that you can possibly have is that. And, and Jesus says, that is what it's like. That's how I love you, right? We, why are we to love the church? Because it is precious in the sight of God because Jesus loves it. Just one verse, I mean, one chapter over, Jesus says in John 15, Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. I mean, the fact that Jesus would take us, people like us, sinners, people far from God, people cut off from God, people, man, we've seen the kind of stuff that lives in our hearts. Man, this, this last year on the world stage, we see all this stuff coming out of human hearts. God sees all of that. God sees that coming out of our heart, and he looks on that, and rather than just judge or just bring wrath, he sends his son for us and then calls us friends. He calls us his bride, Right? Why are we to love the church? Because it is precious to the Lord. And if it is precious to the Lord, then it should be precious to us. We love the church because it is precious. Second, we love the church because it is essential to the Christian. Writing an article about what constitutes essential and the relationship between the Christian and the church in 2020, Brett McCracken says this, for decades now, we've conceived of church not so much as something before which we are accountable and through which our Christian identity is realized, but as an optional enhancement to our own personally curated spiritual path. Meaning like, well, I'm following Jesus, and if that church can help me, like, sure, yeah, I can work it in. You know, that's the way we often as Americans see the church. And so this is what it results in. It results in this attitude. Church is not essential, we assume, because Christianity is just as easily practiced solo at home. Give me a Bible, some inspiring worship music, maybe a few spiritual podcasts, and I'm good. Do we really need the church to be spiritually healthy? And I think the whole New Testament would answer, yes, we need the church to be spiritually healthy. The church is essential to what it means to be a Christian. Think about when the church forms in Acts chapter 2, the gospel is preached. What happens to all the people that believe in Jesus? Acts 2, 47 says, and they were added. And then more people were saved, and they were added. The question is, added to what? Added to the church. They didn't just send up, you know, individual one-on-one Bible studies and say like, you know, you know okay, great, you just kind of do your own thing. No, they brought them into a people. You know, there's a clear understanding in the New Testament in these letters that there is a definite group of people where people sort of know this is this body. 
right? That is assumed throughout the New Testament. And let me just give you an observation here. Every Christian in the New Testament that's addressed in the epistles is addressed as being part of a church. There's no churchless Christian in the letters of the New Testament. For example, Phoebe is not just Phoebe, she is Phoebe from Sencre commended to the church in Rome, meaning she's from one church, she's coming to this church, that's her dynamic. Even the letter to the Philemon, right? You think, well, that's a letter to an individual guy. There's a reference to the church that meets in his home, right? This is not just a guy that's out there, this is a guy hosting the church. And not only is this God's design, not only does this bring God unique glory, but it is essential for the care and maturing and discipleship of Christians. In Ephesians chapter 4, Paul talks about the varied kinds of gifts in the body and says that these, this mutual ministry of different kinds of people ministering to one another is necessary until, quote, we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ so that we may no longer be children. What, what is Paul saying there? He's saying this. That, that you need the one another ministry of the church, the different gifts of the church, the, the life in the church in order to mature into who God has called you to be as a Christian. Look, if we could set up the perfect scenario for you as an individual Christian, right? We can get, we get D.A. Carson, New Testament scholar, to come in and teach you about the letters of the New Testament. And we get, you know, Chris Tomlin or Bob Coughlin come in, teach you about worship and prayer. We get Billy Graham. We resurrect him. He teaches you about evangelism. You know, you got these three or four Bible studies going. You would not be as mature in that scenario as you would be as a member of a local church. And one of the reasons for that is everybody thinks they're mature in a one-on-one -on -one Bible study until you show up at a community group, you see a bumper sticker for a political candidate you don't like, and you're like, you know? Bible, and then the, the Lord's like, oh, is there something we could work on there? Great, right? You need, or maybe you said somebody's having a party. They don't invite you. You're angry, right? You need the person that didn't invite you. You need the body of Christ to help reveal where you're at, but you also need those different gifts to help mature you. You need people gifted at different things that have different perspectives. This is the design of Christ. So look, if you are like me and tend to be at times ill-tempered or impatient or selfish or self-serving or clueless in parenting or frustrated in your work, if that is you, if you have any needs for any maturity in any area, God's design is to help you with that through the church. The church is essential to the Christian. Third, the church is the vehicle of gospel mission. Look, over the last year, so many needs in our world have sort of been raised to the surface. We see the brokenness of our world, I think, especially as Americans, better than we ever have, right? Like this this is real. Like, just even as Americans, the reality that we will die and it may be sooner than we think, we've come face to face with that, right? And the brokenness relationally in our country and around the world, the, the conflict, the, the disagreement, you know, all of that has kind of gotten flushed out and exposed. And what is the solution for all of that? Now, there's good practical solutions, good ways to love one another and love your neighbor, but the ultimate solution for the ills of the world is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
Every deep longing and hurt of the human heart is, if it's truly from the Lord, is, is answered in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That longing for, man, I don't want to be alienated. I don't want to be isolated. That's answered in the gospel. I, you know, my body is broken. That's answered in the gospel. Everything in my relationships is broken. That's answered in the, like all of this. And especially starting with you being alienated from God himself, which leads to all of this sin, is answered in the gospel. The church Listen, so the church is essential because it answers the question, how does the gospel get from this book to them? How does the gospel go from just a message on a page to human beings that need it? God's design is that it comes through the church. Look, it, it, this is implied, and we often forget this in, in places like Matthew 28, where you have this great commission, right? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. And one's like, yeah, that is not an individual commissioning. That is preceded by the verse that the disciples went to the mountain, and Jesus came and said to them, right? So the, the, the disciples who represent the 12 tribes of Israel, representing the people of God, they receive the commission as a group so what is that? That is the church in miniature. That's the church in representation. Jesus doesn't just say, hey, Peter, come here. I got a mission for you. Okay, you do this. And Andrew, okay, I got a mission for you. You go, you do this. No, he gathers them together and says, you guys, representing the church, receive this commission. Same thing in Acts chapter 1, where it talks about being witnesses. Jesus says, you'll be my witnesses. You know, Judea, Samaria, the ends of the earth. When does he tell them that? When they had come together, he said to them, Meaning that they, these disciples are together, receive it together, take it together. And this is what we see in the New Testament, right? We see churches sending people. We see churches reaching people. Look, let me just end this mini section with a comment from Mark Dever. Years ago, Mark Dever is a pastor in the D.C. area. He goes to a, he's a big local church guy, which I think is awesome. And he gets invited to preach at a campus fellowship in the D.C. area and he said, they said, you can preach on whatever you want. So he goes, great, I'm going to preach about the local church. And so he starts his message by saying, um, basically, that the verse says, that the verse does not say, the gates of hell will not prevail against my campus fellowship. The verse says, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. And, what he's, and he goes from there to explain, we can be grateful for campus fellowships, we can be grateful for nonprofits, we can be grateful for orphanages, but the essential ingredient for mission, the essential ingredient, the only God-designed, God-set-out, God-structured thing that we have is the local church. And only the local church is backed by God's unique promise that the gates of hell, come hell or high water or whatever else, come COVID or famine or war or whatever else, the church will be left standing because it is backed by the promise of the risen and resurrected Son of God himself. Why do we love the church? We love the church because it is precious in the sight of God, because it is essential for the Christian, and because it is a vehicle for mission. And look, I think, I was just thinking this week and praying this week about the three folks um, that our church lost in 2020. And I think they do more than any of all, anything that I could say to illustrate the essential nature and beautiful nature of the church. I think in Lydia, in this beautiful girl that was part of our kids' ministry, her family's testimony was that the church was essential to them. 
that them walking through this with people was essential to them, that, that hearing the gospel from teachers who loved Jesus and invested in their daughter was essential to them. And you think about Maggie, who used to sit right, right here. And you think about how did she come to find a church family? How did she come to return to a God that she'd heard about years ago but had not been in a church in years? How did that happen? It happened because people from our church went and knocked on her door and asked her if she needed anything and and faithfully invested in her and shared and, and talked to her about Jesus, right? The church was essential to that story. Why do we believe that the church is worth all of the work, the blood, sweat, and tears, and late nights, and spilled coffee, and you know, frustrations, and conflict resolution? We believe it because we see it. We see its, its effect on the lives of people like this. All right, so that's why we love the church. All right, how, how then to love the church? Well, Jesus answers that in John 13. He says, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. I would prefer him not to have said that. I would prefer him to just say, just love one another. Because then I could fill in my definition of love. You know, I'm an introvert. I don't love hanging out with people all the time. So my definition of love is I will text you every once in a while praying for you, right? That's love to me. And Jesus says, "Uh uh-uh, buddy. Just as I have loved you, you're to love one another, right? He shows us the shape of love. So what does that look like? I just want to highlight a lot of things. I want to highlight four quick things real, here, real quick here at the end. First, we commit. We commit to one another. Jesus committed to us. When we turned aside, when we turned away, he pursued us because we were precious to him and he was committed to us. And so as a result, the church was committed to one another. Acts 2 says the church was devoted to fellowship. Romans 12.10 calls the church to be devoted to one another. This is, this is what I call like the mailman commitment to one another, right? The mailman's motto, like through wind and rain and shine and snow and whatever, like if people don't want to go to work, tough. You're putting the little khaki shorts on and the safari hat. And if you're a mailman, you're out there, man. Like that is what we are talking about. And I have a huge fear for our church and the church in America coming out of this pandemic. My fear is that we will normalize marginal, casual commitment to a local church. That we will begin to treat local church like nothing more than a gym or a favorite grocery store or a favorite brand or whatever. And look, I've, I've... let me just be super real and frank for a minute. I've talked to a number of pastors in our city and elsewhere, and even our own experience as a church is that there's an unusual number of people switching churches right now in the pandemic. And sometimes that is because they, the church made a statement about safety they disagreed with. Not a doctrinal thing, just a, a, a wisdom call. And so they're out. Right? Or, or because uh, the church said something uh, you know, that, that they didn't like, and, and then they've started to listen to other, you know, once you're at home on the couch and you can just flip through everybody's service, you can kind of tailor to, you know, I like this guy's preaching style better, or this band is more acoustic, and I kind of like that. So when I go back, I want to do this, right? Or, or, you know, I really want this type of ministry, and my church can't offer it right now, so I'm going to go over here. Now, I'm not saying there's never a good reason to change churches. I, I think there's totally good reasons for doing that. I am saying this. We cannot normalize changing churches like changing gyms. 
We cannot normalize changing churches like, hey, I used to go to Albertsons, but Sprouts came in, and it has that cool barn design in the inside, and it makes me feel better, so I go to Sprouts now. We can't do this. This is not what the Lord, this is not the way the Lord treats us. We must not treat another, one another this way. We commit, we care, we, we dive in for the long haul. Second, we care. We care. What does it look like to love the church? It looks like care. 1 Corinthians 12 says this, For God has so composed the body that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And when I look at that verse, I think that's the way Jesus has cared for us, right? This deep, attentive, committed care that that knows our needs, that knows our joys, that knows our sorrows, that knows the ups and downs and can enter into those things and bring care to bear where and when we need it. Man, that's the way Jesus treats us and that's the way we're to treat others. We're to, you know, just examples from the New Testament. We're to bear one another's burdens, Galatians 6. We're to teach one another, 1 Thessalonians 4. We're to show hospitality to one another, 1 Peter 4. We're to build one another up, Romans 14. We're to pray for one another, James 5, right? And, and all of that assumes relationship and care that is tight-knit. And what that means is this. It is not just one group's responsibility in the church to care for the people in the church. It's not just your small group leader's job if you're in a small group to care for people, right? If you see somebody in your group that's never on the Zoom calls, don't think, man, I hope our, my small group leader follows up with that guy. I haven't seen him in forever. No, like you, that's what New Testament Christianity is. You follow up with the brother. You say, hey, man, I haven't seen you in forever. Man, what's going on? It may be that they're hurting. It may be that they're sick. It may be that something's hard, right? You intentionally get to know the details of one another's lives, right? And it could look like anything from dropping off a meal to a senior saint who's real isolated to, to knowing somebody's battling depression and giving them daily encouragement, whatever it means. That's what we want to be pursuing. Third, serving. What does it look like? It looks like serving, and this, this passage in John 13 comes right after Jesus' example of washing the disciples' feet, right? The task for the lowest of the low. Like all the servants, whenever the foot washing came around, ranked each other and were like, okay, who's, who's the lowest man? If Gary, Gary's the guy. You know, oh, man. You know, that was washing feet in Jesus' day. Jesus says this, if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet. You also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Oh, church, this means, this means that what we're called to is intensely practical care and service. It means, it means getting, getting into the weeds with people. It means dealing with messes. And it means just practical stuff, right? It means helping people practically that need help. I mean, if, if you join the production team, it means getting here at like, I think they get here at like four in the morning. I don't know. When do you guys get here? Like seven, something like that? All right, seven. All right. Well, it's not as heroic, but um, it's fine. It's good. Or holding babies, you know, you're like, you're thinking the last thing you want to do in COVID areas, hold a baby, you know, those little boogers, like they're not the most sanitary, right? And, and yet you feel like, well, I've gotten, I've gotten vaccines and you know, I'm right, I, I can do it, you know, but I don't want to, right? That, that's what it means. Jesus, this, Jesus served us in the most intensely practical, personal way possible through his ministry and, delight, and death on the cross. 
That's how he's washed our feet. He calls us then to wash others' feet. And let me just add this. I think this is helpful. Hear me when I say this. You know, one of the things that we've talked a lot about in the last year is, is freedom. And, and as Americans, you know, our, our, what are the limits of government over, you know, reach and all that stuff. We've talked a lot about freedom. But I want you to hear how God says to use our freedom in Galatians 5. He says this, for you were called to freedom, brothers. And all the Americans are like, amen. Amen, Paul. You know, just wait. Only... Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, meaning yourself, the sinful part of yourself, but rather through love, serve one another. Paul is like, hey, you got freedom in Christ. You've got freedom. Amen. We got it. Now he says, take the freedom. Okay. Take the freedom. Die to yourself. Serve people. And we're like, nope, I don't like that part. That's, that's why Christ has given us this freedom to serve one another. How did Christ use his freedom? but to serve us. Fourth here, stretch. Jesus' love was for us was not comfortable or convenient. It was costly. I'm using that word stretch to try to sum up the New Testament sections where the, the body of Christ is exhorted to, to hang in there with one another, where they have differences of conviction or wisdom or preference. And this year has brought this out of all of us, right? Some have decided all kinds of things. Some have decided, I can have fellowship and see people. Others decide, you know, I can't, I'm not going to see people. Some are in faith to take risks. Some are not going to take any risks. And sometimes what's behind those decisions are are not good things. Maybe anger or fear is behind something. Or it can be good things, like, you know, matters of of trying to care for an aging relative or things, you know, views about the future or whatever. Here's what I want to say. In this season, in 2021, Loving the church will look like being stretched, being a little uncomfortable for the sake of the body of Christ. Colossians 3.13 says this, just, I love this. It says, just bear with one another. Like, it's just an assumption. There's going to be stuff in the church, stuff in relationships that's just going to have to be born with, right? You're just going to have to go, oh. Okay, you know, somebody makes an unwise comment, you know, somebody accidentally, you you get sick from COVID and somebody makes a comment like, yeah, well, told you that was going to happen. And you're just like, thank you, Frank, you know, um, not helpful. Like sometimes you just got to bear with one another. In two places in Ephesians 5.21 and 1 Peter 5, we're called to submit to one another, meaning that sometimes... If it's not a matter of sin, sometimes we'll just have to say, okay, I'll just, I'll go with it. This is what my community group leader is asking me to do. I'm going to go with it. This is what, we, you know, we're having to do in this ministry. I'll go with it. Look, lo- loving one another in this season is going to look like all of us being stretched. It may mean that you don't like staring at a gr- Zoom screen after you've been on Zoom all day, but that's the only way to connect with some folks in your group or some folks in your life, and you do it for the sake of love. Or it means that if you're in my, if you're a guy in my community group, I will make you sit out in 32 to 31 degree weather while we fellowship. And uh, that's just life. You have, to pack a, you have to pass a kind of a health check before you join my group. And I really did do that to the guys, and I'm sorry, especially for Moy, who had to sit on the far side away from the fire, right? It means doing that stuff for the sake of love. It may mean that, that while our restrictions as a church exist, and they will not exist forever, but while they exist, You have to stretch to be willing to follow them for a time. And let me just encourage you, if you can take precautions visiting an elderly relative, or if you can take, you know, be subject to restrictions in order to wear a mask and go inside, you know, a 
a store that you need to go into. I think you can do the same in the church. But similarly, it may mean that our, our restrictions are lifted and relaxed. For some folks, they will, they will be lifted too soon and relaxed too soon. And, and you'll have to decide, can you take a godly, reasonable risk for the sake of fellowship and involvement? I'm not saying, I'm, look, I'm not saying you got COPD, sign up for the nursery. Like, that's not a great idea. What I am saying is there is a category for godly risk. Look, if we, we as a church, right, can, can applaud a family, a missionary family moving to Africa where there's malaria raging and there's inadequate medical care and we think, yeah, that's good, that's a godly risk, we need to be thinking there, there may be some godly risks that we need to take as well in the middle of this. It also may mean that to volunteer, you have to work outside your comfort zone or preference or, you know, you may be gifted at this and we're like, great, I love that. We can use that in six months. We really need you to do this right now, right? It may mean that you got to restart some friendships. You got to work through some awkwardness, that, that you've had differences with your friend in politics or mask wearing or quarantine bubbles or rules for your kids and you'll need to stretch to, to work through that and fellowship with them. All I'm trying to say is summed up here. Jesus tells us, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, I want to just end by really practically going over what the next few weeks are going to look like, next few months are going to look like as a church. So we, we started the message with sort of the Winston Churchill brutal honesty about our challenges. I want to end with the Winston Churchill relentless optimism because there is so much room for optimism. I really do believe, guys, hear me when I say this, I really do believe this can be one of the best things to ever happen to our church. If the Lord uses it to strengthen us, deepen us, and force us to be more on mission in our church life than we've ever been. Wouldn't that be a gift? So for the next few months, this is what we're looking at. All right, super practical details. With our kids' ministry, we do see it as crucial to being able to serve church families and church and serve outsiders. So really practically, we need six more slots to be filled in the 9 a.m. service to bring the nursery back. Uh, we can do that, I'm saying in faith, this week. I bet you anything we can do it. Right? If, if, if I got to make Vince do it and me and Vince are doing it, we fill two of the slots, we'll do it, man. Let's roll. You got that? You, you good with that? Yeah. Okay, all right. We got it. We got two. Okay, so. Uh, oh, yeah, that's right. That's right. Okay, yeah, never mind. Well, okay, yeah, she keeps rejecting our attempts to serve at times. So we'll talk to Teresa about that. Uh, something about being too excitable and it's not good for the kids. So the. <laughs> That's what we're going to do. We're going to get six slots filled. We're going to start the 9 a.m. nursery, and then we want to do the next class, and we're going to probably do one combined class temporarily, two to five-year-olds, and then we will have a whole ecosystem in the 9 a.m., right? Meaning that if you've got kids and you want to serve, we'll actually have you know, classes for your kids to, to be in while you serve. That's kind of the goal. So that's our first goal. I think that can happen in the next month. I think that can happen this month. I think we can get there. With our kids' ministry wing, we're going to be done in mid-April, and I believe with that, we're going to see more families beginning to attend and visit, and I think by God's grace, we're going to leverage that into you know, more volunteers and be able to have two services of kids' ministry. And at some point, it, we may need to ask folks that have kids that want to participate in that to all go to the 9 a.m., and this service may get more crowded because we take, hey... People in the nine, if you don't have kids, if you can keep your kids with you, if you know, whatever, come to the 11. We may have to do that for a season. 
Now, our community groups. With our groups, we need to get all of our groups healthy and active. We need people showing up. We need people participating. We need people volunteering to lead. We need people's backyards. Uh, we need people's firewood. And, and, and I believe that, that as that happens, that feeling of connection is going to return in many ways in our church. And we're going to do a prayer meeting in February. I see that as crucial to all of this. And we're going to keep praying throughout the year, God willing, um, because th that's going to be the fuel for, for, for what we're doing here. And once we have those things in place, I think kids' ministry and CGs are kind of critical. They're, they're the, the gaps right now. Once we have those, I think all the other ministries will begin to come online again in some form. Right, So if you've been like, man, I'm dying for a, a women's meeting. I'm dying for a men's breakfast. Where are the breakfast tacos that Joe always buys us? They're coming. They are, we're going to get there. And here's what I believe in faith. I believe in faith that by summer, all of our ministries can be back online uh, in some form. And I believe in summer, we'll have a vacation Bible school in a new kids' ministry wing, and it's going to be awesome, and our kids will love it. Um, and here's why I believe this is critical, right? I don't, I'm not into this for just like, let's provide services that everybody in the church likes, right? Here's why I believe this is critical. I believe that in the summer and fall next year, God is gonna give us opportunities for outreach. Right? We, think of what we've done just being in quarantine. I, and we've set apart Vince for this work on our pastoral team to lead us in this area. And I think people are gonna be asking questions. I think people are gonna be looking for answers after this last year. I think people are gonna be thinking about life after death maybe for the first time in a long time. People are gonna be looking for marriage help and parenting help. And I very much as a church want us to be here with our doors open and our arms open saying, come in, come hear about the gospel of Jesus and how it changes um, and interacts with, with every part of your life, with your parenting, your marriage, your fears, your hopes, all of that stuff. Come hear about Jesus, right? That's why we're doing this. Not just that we're like, oh, I like church again. It's nice. We have the donuts back. No, we want people like Maggie to come to our church and find hope in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what we're, and, and, and here's the thing. Church, I believe that if that happens, if, if we come back as a leaner, meaner church, in a sense, we're gonna be more useful for mission. I believe God can use us to plant churches and send out missionaries because that's just going to be the culture of the church that people come into where it's normal to sacrifice and serve and care and give of yourself. And that's the environment that church plants and missionaries come out of. And we will look back and say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for that season. We became a better, clearer picture of who you called us to be. Amen. Well, we're going to end, and I'm going to have Todd just come and uh, close us in prayer. So Todd is one of those guys that I respect deeply in the area of mission, both the way he operated in business for years and the way he uh, operates now. So I'm going to have him lead us together as we close in prayer. Stand with me if we pray. Oh, Lord, we thank you for just the testimony of your love for us. In this sermon, Lord, the testimony of your church that you died for, Lord, that you are the head of, Lord, that you didn't just save us and leave us to flounder on our own in this world, that you saved us and you called us together as a body. Lord, you uniquely gifted each one of us to fit perfectly into that body, Lord, to work together. And then you called us as a body to be your ambassadors of reconciliation. You say, I'm making my appeal through you. Lord, thank you for that. Thank you that you bring us alongside you to work with you in your redemption of, the, of, of mankind, Lord. Thank you for that.
Father, we, th- we just proclaim together in faith. Give us faith for this next season, Lord. Help us to emerge out of this season stronger, Lord, with better perspective of your call in our lives, Lord Father. I just pray that, Lord, help to lift our eyes and heads above our circumstances, above the challenges and difficulties that we're in, to see you and be led by you, Lord. Lord, because you say that when you search for me, you will find me, and you search for me with all your hearts. Lord, help us to look to you in this time, Lord, in faith that you have called us at this time to further the gospel in our city. Lord, help us to be a church that responds like Isaiah responded when you said, who shall we send? And who will go for us? Lord, help us to respond. Here we are. Send us. Send us, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.